Well, it's great to be here. And it's great to be here um, because it's always great to be here at Central. Um, my name is Gareth. I'm one of the elders here. But it's especially great to be here this evening because tonight we're going to do things slightly differently. Um, it's festival time in Edinburgh. And you can't drive from one side of the city to the other. And it's impossible to get parked in town. And the place is full because the whole world has come uh, to see shows and to do shows. And Edinburgh takes on this interesting, different, exciting flavor. And so we thought we'd mirror that and be interesting, different, and exciting this evening. So we have something very special for you. Um, we started a two-week series. This is the second in a two-week series called Converse. And the idea behind Converse is we're asking the question, the pretty fundamental question, uh, does Christianity work? Why am I a Christian? Does it actually work to have a Christian faith in 21st century Edinburgh? That's the question that we've been trying to tease out over the last two weeks. And last week we had Amy O. Ewing with us, who's an apologeticist, if that's a real word, which means that basically her job is to grapple with some of the hard questions around faith and being a Christian and so on. Um, and she said uh, at the gathering last week, she said, look, all of us are made by God to have this relationship with him. And if we don't, then we have this kind of emptiness, this longing, this God-shaped hole she referred to it as in our lives. And she made the audacious claim, the huge claim, that actually Jesus is the answer to all of our deepest longings and needs. Jesus, the bread of life, is the thing that we all need, that I need, that you all need. Audacious claim, hugely possibly one of the most audacious claims in the history of all audacious claims. Which did go on to, to justify that and to provide some reasons why we might uh, believe that and find that uh, reasonable. She talked about um, the fact that other ways of filling your life up don't really work. She talked about the fact that the Bible is something that we can take seriously. She talked about a whole load of other things and then answered some questions from the audience, from the folk who'd come along to hear what she had to say. And that, if you like, last week was the theoretical part of the Why Be a Christian. And tonight we're moving on to the practical side of things. And that's where I think it gets extra exciting. Because we have this evening for you a panel. A panel who will be sitting here in a moment and who've agreed to come and share a little bit of the reality of their attempts to follow Jesus, their Christian faith. Some of them have been Christians for a long time, some of them not so long. And we have an opportunity to ask them questions and say, look, we've heard the theory, we've heard the audacious claims, but what's it like in practice? What does this stuff actually mean? What's it like when things are going well? What's it like when things are difficult? How do you make all of this work? And this panel aren't a panel of experts. Well, actually, some of them are quite expert in some things, but they're not a panel that have all the answers. But they do all have a story to tell a story about their own faith journey, if you like, their own following Jesus and how that's worked out in their lives. So, panel, if you'd like to come and join me. And while the panel are coming up to join me, let me explain how we're going to work things from here. In a moment, I'm going to ask them to do something almost impossible. I've asked the panel to try and compress who they are, what gets them out of bed in the morning, and a little flavor of what their uh, faith journey has been, into two minutes each. That's all they're going to get. Okay, so they're going to try and do that. So you get a feel for who they are and where they're coming from. And after we've done that, we're going to have a break. 
and then we're going to come back and do some Q&A, some questions and answers. And the way we're going to do that uh, should be pinging up on the, here we go, just behind me. So if you have a smartphone, pull it out now and go to www.slido.com and put in the password converse. And what that will allow you to do is to type in the question you'd like to ask the panel, the insightful question you'd like to ask that gets at what it's really like in real life, in reality, being a Christian. Please don't put, did I have a belly button or anything else of that kind of nature. That was last week. That's Amy or Ewing territory. What we're gunning for this evening is some of the real-life nuts and bolts, how does it work out in practice. If you put your question in or you like somebody else's question, then we'll be able to see them and we'll relay some of those questions to the panel. If there are questions you ask that we don't get around to and we won't be able to answer them all this evening, uh, we're going to put some answers on the website um, at Jesus, uh, Central Jesus the Heart. Sorry, Central Church, he said, <laughs> remembering that we changed the name. Anyway, so... Without further ado, before I dig myself even further into a hole, let's move on to the panel. So we have Andy, Emily, Rob, and Becky, who've all agreed. Thank you very much, folks, uh, to share with us. They look calm and collected, but actually we're asking a lot of them this evening, so please be kind. And let's start then uh, with a little bit of story from Andy. Thank you. Um, yeah, so um, my name is Andy Boyle, I'm 38 years old. I, have, um, I was saved two years ago at um, a CAP, who are Christians Against Poverty, um, discovery break. And uh, my life before being saved was a life of turmoil. It was a life of drugs and alcohol. Um, it was a life of anger. Um, and um, I generally wasn't a nice person to be around. I know that's hard to believe now, thanks. Um, <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was, it, it was a difficult kind of time. Um, I was looking for something, but I didn't know what it was. I was looking for things that I wanted rather than what I needed. Um, and two years ago, I found exactly what I needed, and that was uh, Jesus. And uh, since then, my life has been completely transformed. Um, it, you know, I, I was baptized in the October, then I got married to my, um, my now wife, Katie, and uh, we've got three lovely children together. And, uh, and now um, God has just done so many amazing things in my life. Um, now that I'm there working for Christians Against Poverty um, as acting center manager at Central, and uh, being able to go out and bring hope and bring that, um, the word of Jesus to um, people who are in similar situations to what I was. Um, so, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Well, I'm Emily, and I became a Christian when I was 11 years old, when my sister told me that trying to be nice was not going to do it, but that because Jesus had died on the cross, there was a much better offer, which was that I could change my old life for a fresh new life to be lived with him, and I thought that was a bargain, and I still do. Um, I'm Rob. We do ages, yeah. I'm 43. Um, not telling. <laughs> um, so I'm married to Susanna, who's a, a, a teacher, and we've got two active boys aged seven and nine, who if you, you come particularly to 10 to 30 service, you'll see them doing laps around the church at the end of the service. So 
My main aim in life is to try and stay fit enough to keep up with them. Um, my day job, I'm a consultant psychiatrist. I work for the NHS and I work in northeast Edinburgh down in Leith. Um, so I say I do that. I've been doing that since Monday. Um, prior to that, I've just spent two years living in New Zealand, which has been an amazing midlife crisis slash adventure. More expensive, but safer than buying a motorbike. Um, so that's me. Um, my name is Becky, um, and I'm 26, if everyone else is going to say their age. Um, and I have been in Edinburgh um, for about eight years. I came here to study, and I have stayed since, and I've worked mostly in addiction with children and young people affected by addiction and with um, women. Um, and I guess I've been around this church since then. And throughout that time, I've been learning, I guess, what it means to follow Jesus when it feels like everything works really well, when it feels like he answers your prayers, but also what it means when that doesn't seem to work and how to learn who he is and what he's doing in that. Brilliant. Thank you. Caught me on the hop there. It's actually more difficult to get up these days than it used to be, but now. <laughs> but Becky's actually quite tall as well. She's just looking quite short on the end there. <laughs> Terrific. So that, that gives you a, a flavor for who these guys are. And thank you once again for being willing to come and share with us. What we're going to do next is we're going to pause. We're going to allow you to have a think, to enter some questions, to grab a coffee from the back if you'd like to. We're going to put the timer up here on its five-minute countdown to restart. And then when we all get back into the hall, we're going to start with some questions and answers, if that's okay. So please go and have a chat, work out some questions, and bear in mind that this is a really unusual and fantastic opportunity to think about what Christianity actually means in practice. Well, welcome back. Thank you for submitting lots of interesting questions. There are lots of questions. There are lots of interesting questions, and some questions clearly have triggered people's imaginations and have a lot of, uh, I'm not sure what the right term is, like votes, retweets, whatever it is, thumbs ups. Um, so let's get to it. Um, I've made a little list of what I think are some of the most popular common themes, and apologies if the wording isn't quite right, um, but I'm going to try and summarize maybe two or three questions at a time in one area. And one thing that came up a lot was the question of prayer. Uh, how do you pray? How do you get a rhythm of prayer? How does that work in life? And what do you do uh, when you pray and God doesn't answer your prayers, or it appears God doesn't answer your prayers? And I wondered, Rob, if you would be willing to pick that one up. Yeah, so this, this is... I think I'm on. Yep. Um, I mean, this is a, a big area, isn't it? Prayer is one of those really weird things that Christians seem to do. Um, you know, and no one quite, you know, you can understand like reading the Bible and coming to church, that's easy, but what, what's prayer? How do you do it? How does it work? And um, there, there's a couple of things I found really, really useful. Um, and then I'll try and deal with a sort of unanswered prayer. The, the, the first is that I think how we pray is very much based on our personality. So I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist, but if I want to recommend a book, there's a great book called Praying with the Grain by a friend of mine, another Spanish psychiatrist called Pablo Martinez. And praying with the grain basically starts off with a little mini personality assessment. And there's some people who like lists. There's some people who like missionary prayer letters. There's some people who like prayer diaries where there's something to pray every day. There's other people who love corporate praying, you know, praying before and after the service. There's some people who like intercessory prayer for their city and worship and prayer. There's other people who 
pray best walking up a hill. And I guess what I'd say, it's about, it's about finding the type of prayer that fits with your personality. Because if you think you've got to be one of those people, you know those awful prayer meetings where everyone prays one after another, and there's 10 people in the prayer meeting, and that means we'll get 10 prayers. Um, and, you know, you're the person who hasn't prayed, and it's my turn to pray. And it's like, ah, probably the wrong personality type of prayer for you. So, so try and work that out. The unanswered prayer one is really difficult. Um, the thing that really helped me is to understand who we're praying to. So we are praying to someone who is bigger than us and bigger than the problem. The technical term, if I can do a little bit of theology, is that, is that God, is, God is sovereign. He has the power. He, he is the Lord. And if, if that's the case, that by definition means that the answer is up to him, if that makes sense. You know? so, so I think when we understand that we're, we're pr- if you're praying to someone who has the power to do something then a no answer is a definite possibility. Because otherwise, you're not really praying to anyone, are you? You're just praying for your own sake, which actually is nothing wrong with that. But I think realizing that no can be the answer. So unanswered prayer, I think, sometimes means the answer that we don't want. It's just a different answer, or that God is silent. And again, one book, there's a great book by a guy called Pete Gregg called God on Mute, and that's what the experience was like for him with unanswered prayer for several years while his wife was very ill with, with cancer and a whole bunch of other things that were going on for him. So God on mute is good. But un, unanswered prayer is really difficult. And I've, I've had times where I've, I've prayed for things. You know, I continue to, to pray for, for friends who situations haven't changed or awful things have happened to them. And, you know, why, why doesn't God sort this out? And I guess the third thing is that I've realized that prayer is also a lot about me. It's about, it's about changing me as much as it is about changing God's mind, if that makes sense. Thanks, Robert. I mean, that's really helpful. And can I, can I just ask you as well, to, from your own experience, um, prayer is going to work differently for everyone. You've made the point that it's, it's a personal thing, um, as well as something that, that all Christians do. How does the rhythm of prayer work for you? Yeah, well, obviously the correct answer to that is I've used the Rooted app, and I'm in this amazing rhythm of prayer. But um, regrettably, that's not true. I don't use the Rooted app. I'm sorry. It's very good. But um, what, what works for me is um, a short daily note I read each morning, um, which is a short Bible. It's a different app I use, um, and that's got some prayers at the end. And then I... I tend to pray while I'm doing something. So particularly when I'm cycling to and fro to work or if I'm listening to music or something, that tends to be more when I pray. And then from time to time, I will sit down and really pray. And likewise, Susanna and I are not one of those couples that prays together every single day. Some couples do. and We don't pray together every single day, but we do probably pray together a couple of times a month, um, usually when there's something important to pray about. And her rhythm of prayer is quite different to mine. For her, it's very much about listening to worship music and praying through that. So we're, we're quite different in our prayer lives. Um, some couples have very similar prayer lives. We, we don't, um, and we're okay with that because we've worked out what our different styles are. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Um, let's, let's move on to something else. Uh, another question that came up, or another theme that came up, was um, what happens when things don't work out uh, the way you hope they would. And there are a couple of questions around this. Um, what has been the biggest challenge to your faith was one of the questions. Um, or how do you deal with disappointment was another question uh, on a related theme. Um, Emily, I wondered if you would be able to share a little bit about that. 
Yes. Well, um, okay, so um, through my life there have been disappointments and setbacks, and I'm sure that's true for everybody here. And I'd like to say that if you are one of those people who, who, who asked that question or who liked that question, then I respect your struggle and, and whatever it is you're going through. Um, I think there's been two particular big disappointments in my life. Um, I went through 11 miscarriages, which is 11 big disappointments. Um, and also I went through a long disabling illness. Now I have to say that at the end of disappointment came a miracle and I went in nine weeks in 2013, I went in nine weeks from wheelchair to Zumba, which was ace. And I'm very proud of God for doing that for me. But you will appreciate that I had to wait 23 years for that. And in those 23 years, although I believed God could heal and a bit of me believed God would heal me, I wasn't sure, I didn't know. And there were many disappointments and many losses. I lost my career, I lost many, many opportunities and I had to watch my family struggle. So I have lived in the disappointed zone a lot in my life, but I've learned how not to stay there, okay? And what I've learned is that for a Christian believer or anyone who thinks there might be a God up there, the core of disappointment, the difficult, sneaky, draining question is, does God see me? Does he love me? Is he watching? Does he care? And I just want to say that from my own personal experience, yes, he is listening. Yes, he does care. Yes, he watches with a tender heart. And what I learned is it's like a polar expedition that sets out and the only way they can get to where they're going, they can't carry all their food and all their stuff. And, and the helicopter goes in and drops supplies, or maybe it's a plane, I don't know. And they look for the drops and they find their supplies and they keep going. And what I found was that God was there to provide for me. I had to look for the drops. And if I said, well, God, I'm not speaking to you. You're not doing what I want. I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. I'm devastated. I'm heartbroken. I don't believe in you anymore. Then I wouldn't have found the drops. And it would have made what was very difficult into something completely impossible and much harder than God had wanted for me. And I think that when you stop, when you come to a point where you're ready to stop saying, why, 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 why me, why me? And say, how, how, how do I deal with this? How can I thrive in the middle of this? Where are you, God? How can I find you? How can I connect with you? The whole, the whole um, atmosphere in your life can change. Emily, thank you. Thanks very much. And um, if you're one of the people who've, who've asked that question, and, and it is coming from a place of, uh, there's something difficult going on just now, then there will be a chance later on at the end of the service, and, and Hannah's going to talk about that right at the end, um, to have a chat or even to, to pray with someone and to, to think through ways of, of focusing on the how rather than the, the why me aspect. That's a really helpful way to think about it. Thanks, Emily. Um, let's move on to something else now. Uh, another common question how do you maintain a passion for God was the question. So how do you keep this faith thing, this following Jesus thing going when it's difficult, when other things get in the way, when you're busy, when you just don't feel like it? How do you make it work? Becky, could I ask you that? Um, yeah, I guess I'd like to acknowledge first, it's so hard. I think like, it's, really, it's really helpful to hear that like, it's really hard to maintain a passion for Jesus when things are really hard and when they're really disappointing and when it seems like he's not moving. And, and I feel like I've definitely experienced times when I'm just like, I, I don't know how to continue to be passionate for Jesus. Um, but I guess a few of the things that come to mind in terms of things that help me 
try and stay passionate for Jesus. Um, I guess one of the first things is I led one of our communities called Streetlights for a long time and we worked with women in prostitution. And so often that could be so disappointing and it could seem like God wasn't doing anything. Um, it could seem there was, ter- there was sometimes terrible things that happened. And one of the things that helped us and it really helped me maintain a passion was being able to like get people around and to be able to say, I, I, this is so hard. Can we pray about this? Can you support me? So I guess for me, one of the things is about being honest with your people, about finding your people and saying, oh, this is really hard. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can we worship together? Um, because I can't always do this on my own. Um, I need God and I need you guys. So I think, I think that's one of the things for me that um, helps me maintain a passion for Jesus. Um, I think one of the other things, which is not popular, is probably like discipline in terms of spending time with him. And that's not very glam or very exciting. Um, but every morning I get up at 5.45. People think that that is horrifically early. I don't really believe that there aren't morning people, but um, people say it's true that some people don't like the morning. Um, but I get up every morning, 5.45, um, and just spend a wee bit of time writing on my journal, praying to Jesus. Sometimes that looks like saying, thank you so much, everything's amazing. Sometimes that looks a lot more like complaining at Jesus, um, but I guess it builds a relationship. Um, and so for me, that time and that discipline to do that every morning is one of the things that feels really helpful for me in terms of trying to maintain passion for Jesus when it feels really tricky. Thank you. Thank you for that. And just, just for clarity, you're not saying that in order to maintain passion for Jesus, we have to get up at 5.45. You do. Thank you. you do. That, 100%. It's the only way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, great. Okay. What does God give you that the world can't give you, Andy? Salvation. <laughs> um, so, for, for me... Um, God gave me a new life. Jesus died on the cross and took away sin and opened up that door for me to have a personal relationship with God. Um, (laughs) I mean, who wouldn't want that, really? You know. Um, And, uh, yeah, the the whole kind of aspect, you know, of life before God now to me just seems really kind of, it seems a wasted time. It wasn't really because God took me on this path to bring me to where I am now so that I could do good and I I understand that. But I just, now that I think about it, I'm like, and if I had God in my life all those years ago, things could have been, you know, so much better and changed for, you know, more people could have... changed family members and um, helped them through some difficult stuff. And I think Jesus really gives me that focus and that focal point. I want to live my life like Jesus lived his life. Jesus was good. Jesus was great. But Jesus lived his life in such a way that regardless what faith you have throughout the world or, or what your background is, you cannot say that Jesus was a bad man. Nobody can say that, you know. So I think for me, Jesus just gives me that focus of how I want to live my life, how I want my life to, to, to go in the direction that I want to go in. And I don't feel that anything else can give me that, um, 
you know, that, that sense of purpose and that sense of direction um, than, than what Jesus has, has done. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the most important thing for me is that I have a personal relationship with God. You know, that, that's the most important thing I can talk to God and do the 545. I, I'm a morning person, Becky, so um, I've got three kids. It does help that they get up early. I, I but, was. You know, <laughs> so yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, having that personal relationship, um, we can only have that personal relationship because Jesus died on the cross for us. So, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Andy. And, and just before we move on from that, that, that's a big question, isn't it? And an important question. Is there anything anyone else wants to throw in before we move to the next one? I think... I think, I mean, just, you know, you're talking about getting up at 5.45 and you're talking about, you know, what about my life before this? And, you know, I've been a Christian for quite a long time and I, as I mentioned, I'd been to, to New Zealand recently and I think one of the reasons was, was that I, I thought I was getting stuck in a rut. I wasn't losing the passion, but it was becoming sort of more of a sort of, I've, I've always done this and, you know, I... I, I I wasn't about to give up my faith, but I, wasn't, I couldn't see things changing very much over the next 10 years. So I, I made the effort to do something completely insane and move to the other side of the world. And I think it was a sort of nagging sort of feeling I had inside me. And actually, when we got there, one of the things that Susanna and I realized was that actually that was God's calling for us in more... You know, we were able to formulate it more clearly once we'd got there. And, and I think, you know, you're doing sort of getting up at 5.45 in the morning. Other people will do things like, I don't know... Um, abseil down the fourth road bridge or something like this for some charity or something but you know I just encourage people to push the boat whatever it is you know you, you can do a micro adventure like that you can do a mega adventure and go around the world you can you can do something slightly crazy and get up and be a sort of modern day monk and get up at 545 but you know this is this is worth doing experiments on it, it's worth sort of finding the prayer rhythm that works for you going outside your comfort zone because it, it's so amazing and I think sometimes we settle for for, for less of God um, you know that we, we have this sort of intellectual belief or our parents are Christians no let's let's do and it's gonna be different for every single person yeah. for some people it might look very mundane but they're having a little adventure inside their head and they're really trusting and stepping out in God and do it go for it Break the mold. Brilliant, brilliant. That's helpful. There is there is a book uh, by a chap called John Ortberg that says if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Yeah. And that's what you made me think of there, Rob. And and it's just to preempt something that we're going to talk about later on this evening. Um, this question that we started the evening with, you know, does it make sense to be a Christian? Why be a Christian? Uh, we're kind of grappling with this, and we're asking these guys, what, what's it look like in your life to have done this? But this is, this is the mother of all questions, isn't it? This is the big one. This is the thing to, to get your head around because if it's true that Jesus is the answer to this hole that we all carry, every single one of us carries, then that's something we need to engage with sooner rather than later. So let me just echo what Robert said, maybe hijack it and echo it slightly and say, um, even this evening, there's an opportunity to push the boat out, to take the next step, to think to engage, to ask the next question. On which note, let's ask the next question. So, this I'm going to open up to the entire panel, and anybody can take this who wants to. You ready for this? How do you have no sex before marriage when in a long-term relationship? 
Okay, so um, I, as many people know, my wife and I had two children before we um, before we we got married, and um, it was the interim period from me um, finding faith to us getting married that was actually the most difficult part, especially for me, because I was used to sex before marriage. And, you know, um, so that, that was really difficult. It was really, um, it, it was um, a stage that was new. It was, um, you know, we obviously had sex. We had two children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, um, but from me then, um, from, from, you know, saying and, and committing to God um, and then going through the, the, the period before we got married um, to abstain at that point was, was really difficult. But you have to be looking at things like your scripture. You have to be, um, you know, you, you have to kind of really discipline yourself. I think for us it was slightly different, obviously, but um, it, I would say it was very testing. Um, you know, I don't know if any of you guys have got anything to add onto that from you know, living with, with Christ all your life or, or I, I, I guess the thing. thing that, I mean, so when, you know, when we got married, um, I hadn't slept with someone my wife had years before, mm. but we made the decision not to. It was not easy. It's yeah. very difficult to sort of go from ice cold to sort of married passion in 20, you know, you went to sort of turn it on about half past two in the afternoon, aren't you, on your wedding day or something. And it's, you know, I suppose my, 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 my point is that that's stupid. Yeah. So yeah. you, well, that's when you have to back of a taxi. Um, but, you know, you, 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 um, you, you should be struggling in, in the weeks before the marriage. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you yeah. think should be imagining and waking and it, it, it but as you say it, it's an intellectual commitment and I think I think the thing I often hear from people is well how do we, how do you know that you're ready unless you've sort of tested the goods for want of a better description just to be rather blunt about it but people say you know how do you know that unless you've lived with this person unless you've slept with them how do you know you're going to be married mm, yeah. and personally I would say you don't and you trust. Yeah. And actually, if you look at the bunch of people who do live together, who, who do sleep together before marriage, and then end up thinking they're compatible, and they're not, and then getting divorced, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, the statistics are just as bad on, on both sides. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a choice, and this, this sort of line that you've, you've got to test it before you get married is, I'm afraid, not true from yeah. where I'm standing. I, I think as well, knowing that um, you have become one in the eyes of God... And, and just remembering that on, on the build-up to your wedding day, that you will become one in the eyes of, of the Lord, um, makes, makes a big difference. And that's what I kept remembering and saying, do you know, yeah, okay, we had slept together before, but actually in the eyes of, in front of God, we've made this commitment. We are now one. You know, that was, that was huge and, and kind of kept me going. I just wanted to say that um, when we got married and we hadn't had sex and it was extremely difficult, short engagement is my best tip. Uh, so long as you're sure, <laughs> so long as you're sure. Um, it, it gave me an enormous confidence to go, into, to go into marriage with a man that I knew had sacrificially followed God's law, which meant that gave me confidence that if some gorgeous babe wandered by, 
he would still follow God's law and be faithful to me. And in my personal opinion, getting there difficultly, messily, you know, just making it to marriage together as a couple without having sex is a gift to one another. And it's a, it's a token. I am going to keep God's laws with you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to love you and protect you. So you could see it as a gift. That, that's really helpful. So it's really helpful to get perspectives there from Andy when, when it hasn't worked out the way you hoped, but how you can uh, rectify that and, and make a new start into things and how you can maintain a, a clean sheet, if you like, uh, going into to marriage. And let, me just, let me just push you a little bit and say that's been a really good justification for why have no sex before marriage, but how? You know, have you any hot tips or cold tips, maybe, or <laughs> tips? <laughs> a pack of peas. Keep out yes. a taxi, I don't know. Uh, what, how, in practical terms, have you any suggestions as to how to make this work? Because, you know, you, we're, we're wired to do this. As you said, Rob, you know, if you, if you, don't, if you don't feel strongly attracted to the person you're going to marry, then there's probably something wrong. Um, so how do, you, how do you manage that practically? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly say if you're, if you're not living together and you live in separate places, um, um, which should be the case, um, then make sure that you're not staying overnight and you're not actually putting yourself in a compromising position. Um, I mean, that would that'd be number one tip from me. Anyone else? I think, I think, I can't if it was a line from Highlander, isn't it? But, you know, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. I think St. Paul said it originally, and it was there in Highlander as well. And I think, I think you know, short engagement is, it's there in the Bible. You know, there's an expectation that this is going to be, 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 be tricky. Um, practically, as you say, I, th I think it's different. So, like, for example, what we did, I was in Bradford and Susanna was in Edinburgh. So, practically, we'd be visiting each other every weekend. So, it was the weekends that were difficult. And... Initially, we stay with other people, but eventually we'd, we'd stay in each other's houses just for practical reasons. But we just had to be strict with each other, which is, um, particularly my house in Bradford, you went up the stairs and then the stairs kind of went, went, went two ways. Her room and, you know, my room and the guest room, if that makes sense. And I was, I just had to be absolutely anal about, I don't go up those stairs and she doesn't come up these stairs. And we just had to be really, really strict. So that, that was what worked for us. Other people will have different rules. There's books out there that you can, you can buy as well. But that, that was a work for us. You know, there's my stairs, your stairs, um, and try, try and stick with that. Um, for the ladies, have a very strict father as well, one that's pretty scary, I would say, um, to scare the blokes off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you all the way there, Andy. Um, so, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, another question that's been asked a lot is how do you... How do you share your faith with people who are skeptical, disinterested, who are convinced that it's uh, not worthwhile? Did you type this in after the conversation we had before? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had a very similar conversation today with a family member, actually. Um, not immediate family, my wife's. Um, all right, but um, yeah, it was uh, a family member was... Um, basically saying to me, look, it's an absolute joke, it's, you know, Christianity is, there's, um, you know, everything that you believe is false, and that is, you know, I, I mean, that, that is when you have to step back a little moment and just pray for them, and um, 
then kind of look at the evidence. Um, I, I, I do enjoy getting my Alpha book out. I think Alpha's a fantastic course to do, um, and especially for people who are non-believers, actually showing them through the Alpha book and, and, and talking to them about the evidence that's there about... Sorry, just just yep. for the... We've mentioned Alpha once or twice. Just yep. for people who aren't familiar, can you give us a 10-second... What, what is Alpha? Uh, Alpha is a course that is based for non-believers to come and ask the questions that are um, the big questions um, and to let them understand who Jesus was um, really and to, um, yeah, just to, um, for, for them to come, eat, um, be blessed and, uh, and to ask questions and to find out more about Jesus and, uh, and the Christian faith. Um, I think for me, uh, it's probably looked a little bit different. It's probably looked a lot like being people's friend. Um, I would say I'm not a natural evangelist. Maybe that's a cop-out. Um, but actually, it's looked like being with people through seasons of life. Um, and they may not be asking questions as soon as we become friends. But what do you believe and why do you go to church? But um, I have a group of friends that, um, that aren't Christians. And they, as time has gone on, little pieces have come out little by little as things have gone on in my life and things have gone on in their life. And actually, for me, one of the most helpful things has been doing the distance with people, having friendships, um, and just being alongside them. Because I think I often felt like, oh, I have to get something in about Jesus right now. I should probably tell them about why I'm a Christian. But actually, it's been a real learning experience for me to just be people's friend. And in that, I've been able to share some of my life. So I've been able to share some of Jesus. So um, I'm a bit of a faint-hearted evangelist myself, which is a bit of a shame because I'm employed as one, but there we have it. Um, so I have, well, I'm in a uniquely privileged position, right, because I'm the one that got out the wheelchair, and nobody can argue with your story. Um, so that's a great starting point for me, but, but um, if it's a relationship that, that, that maybe feels a wee bit delicate, you maybe don't want to load too much on it too soon... Um, my top tip would be pray that that person will ask you a question, okay? Because if you're answering somebody's question, then you're responding to their interest and their agenda. I would just warn you that because of God's peculiar sense of humor, they will probably ask you that question at the time when you have least time to answer it and when you're feeling deeply unspiritual, okay? So brace yourself. Thank you. Brilliant. This morning we... Um had a similar panel to this at the 915 service. And the 915 service is populated by, I think it would be fair to say, a slightly different demographic to the one that we have here this evening. And we thought, actually, there was something slightly wrong about us asking a group of people, many of whom have been Christians for longer than we've been alive, um, to ask us questions about how it should be done or how we do it. And so we decided to ask them some questions. And the question we asked them was... Um, what in your Christian experience has brought you the most joy? What has been the biggest joy of your faith journey so far? And I'd like to ask the panel that this evening. So what has been the biggest joy for you in your life as a Christian? Well, I would say just um, hearing God's voice, that unmistakable voice of love. There's nothing like that. Nothing like that. Yeah, I, I agree with Emily on that. Um, yeah, just just knowing that that God wants that relationship with me, um, 
and and also that I have access to him, um, I would say is the 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 best or the most remarkable part for me. Um, I think for me it has been, I guess when God is, I've heard God speak and felt Him say to do something that feels crazy and that I could never do, and I guess seeing Him use me, do things that feel far beyond me, um, and that has encouraged me so much that it isn't to do with me on my capabilities um, and just brings me loads of joy. So I'm going to give the cheesy answer and I'm going to have to say meeting my wife. Um, <laughs> but there's partly true because um, I was set up um, by our senior pastor here. So if it wasn't for this church and, and for Carl, I wouldn't have a wife. Well, I might do, but not, not that one. But joking apart, um, <laughs> unless someone else felt sorry for me. Um, no, but, but jo- joking apart, I think... You know, the joy I have in my relationship with Susanna and the, 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 the Christian dimension to, to doing life with somebody. There are, there are great marriages out there that are not, not Christian. But I think the fact that there's unique things that you, you, you learn about God through, through marriage has been so important. And I think particularly seeing Susanna grow in, grow in her faith and see her seeing me grow in my faith as well. Particularly, you know, go, going over to New Zealand and... Some of the conversations we had there, I think, over the last few years have just been amazing just to sort of see God at work in a, in a very real way. And, you know, she's my best friend and the person who compensates for the areas that I'm appalling at. And we're a good team, I hope. We're not perfect. We have arguments, etc. But, um, yeah, my, my girl.